Luke chapter 19, we are going to look at the familiar story of Zacchaeus here. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down, and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So here we have this account. Put in front of us, it says in verse 1, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Uh, that's one of those Bible difficulties people have. There are two Jerichos in Jesus' day, so you can be leaving the one and entering the other. The one Jericho was the Old Testament Jericho we know of that Joshua marched around. And at this point in time, that is a smaller, kind of poor town or village, more really, uh, even somewhat considered still cursed. And about a mile or two away was a more populous town, a thriving town, a town that was in an area with palm trees. They had a lot of business there. Rome was involved. Herod was involved. That was the Jericho that it seems Jesus is entering into here. Uh, blessed, some think, even from the time of Elisha. If you go to Kings, where Elisha was in that area and there was... His, some of his servants said the area is good, it looks nice, but the water is bad. And he asked for a new bowl, put some salt in it, and threw that into the water, and it was cleansed. The writer says, even until this day. Um, and it seems maybe still good water there and blessing. And that city was thriving. So Jesus is coming to the city. The important thing is not the city's history, but its people and the person who is most critical to see here, of course, is Zacchaeus. So verse 2 tells us a couple things about us. Now behold, Zac there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So this individual is the important thing to see here. Zacchaeus, his name means pure. Seems to be a distinctly Jewish name here. We are told that he is a chief tax collector, which puts him over an area of other tax collectors. Again, most of you are probably familiar, but in that day, these tax collectors would have the backing of Rome. They would have a certain amount of taxes they would have to collect for Rome. Rome's tax was five bucks, but they could charge seven to make a little extra for them, and Rome wouldn't care as long as Rome got Rome's share. So what would happen is Zacchaeus became not just a tax collector, these people would be considered traitors to their nation, but a head tax collector. It's kind of like 
It's not just somebody from the IRS coming to your house. The head IRS guy is coming to your house. So that means he was also chiefly disliked amongst tax collectors. He's somebody very notably infamous in a negative way. We learn as well that he is rich, which again typically happened through injustice. Luke tells us earlier when tax collectors come to John the Baptist and they say to John, Teacher, what shall we do? John said to them, collect no more than what is appointed to you. That was what his command was to them. But the most important thing we see here is Zacchaeus is one of the last individuals collected by Jesus on the way to Jerusalem and to the cross. There's there's something unique happening here. He is in conflict And in some ways, again, I think it's hard for us to understand what it was like for a Jewish tax collector in that day. His conscience is stricken because of sin in one way or another. There's something that's driving him here. We're going to see, we know immediately he's going to be a repentant man. So there's something going on inside of him. But if you're a conscience-stricken tax collector, where do you go? You can't go to your own people because you're considered a traitor. You can't go to the religious sect. The Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with you if you were a tax collector. And even if you were genuine about that, you couldn't go to your other sinner friends because they weren't the ones who were helping you. So what do you, what do, you do? If you're Zacchaeus and you're convicted about your sin and you don't know how to get out of your sin and you don't feel like you go to the religious world or your own people and you don't want to just hang with other sinners, where do you go? What do you do? Of course, he needs more than forgiveness. He needs a forgiver and somebody that is going to bring him out of that situation into a new fellowship and a new life. And that's what we're seeing here happen. Fortunately, Jesus knows all this about Zacchaeus. He knows who he is. He knows what's going on in his heart. He knows who's ready to give their heart over. He knows who a God-seeking publican is. The sinner is right there, like, God, I need you. Where do I go? What do I do? He knows who that individual is. And he is going to connect here with Zacchaeus, and God wants us to see this. I think it's important. Again, Jesus could have uh, showed up, and when he showed up, he could have just spoken to big crowds, and spiritual things could have happened in the hearts of individuals. He did that sometime, but that's not all he did. He literally stepped down into individual people's hearts and lives, connecting with them in ways that they needed in unique ways. That's why as we see him interact with people, it's so different each time. His miracles are different. What he says is different. Some he touches. Some he interacts with in different ways. He knows what people need as individuals. And and the, the story of the world, what Jesus actually wants to do, what he's seeking to accomplish, we see here kind of in miniature. Right? It's pretty hard to explain the whole thing. But I can tell you what Jesus did with this man, Zacchaeus. And it allows us to see who he is 
and what he wants to do. The mystery of godliness, God come in the flesh. Putting a little story here for us, a real account of Jesus coming to this man. So we learn as well, if you notice, in 3 and 4, it tells us about Zacchaeus. He sought to see who Jesus was. There's some curiosity in him. He's heard about him. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. This is the part we know that he's famous for, for being a short guy. I don't know. Maybe when he gets into heaven, he'll get to be tall. Maybe God will change it. You know, you got, you're short the whole time, but who knows? Maybe he just won't care anymore then. So he, he understands, I'm not going to be able to look through this crowd. I'm not going to be able to see Jesus. So it says in verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Again, we know this guy's short. It's, it's the childlike sincerity that he shows that is the remarkable thing. You're a guy of his stature. You have risen to a pretty profitable position and powerful position in life. Typically, that's not the person who runs around, nor is it most typically the person you see climbing a tree. I think even for most of us, if you pulled into the parking lot tonight and you saw another adult climbing the tree in their normal clothes outside, you'd be like, what's going on? That's kind of weird. Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus. He is, as Joseph Parker says, willing. Are you willing, if need be, to go out of the so-called regular way to see the Savior? Or are you sacrificing your destiny to the tyrannous claims of conventionality? We, we make it easier for ourselves a lot. But he wanted to see Jesus. So he would even go and work through those issues his literal physical issues, the problem of the crowd. A lot of times, just a little annoyance throws us off. Something, something that's just tiny that we have to overcome. But the reality is, what, what is the purpose of my so-called sincerity or love or zeal for Christ if it can't overcome any obstacle to approach him or to get near to him? And the wonderful thing about Zacchaeus is he can do that. Of Sadly, we're often too stiff or formal or self-conscious to seek Jesus in this way. We would never climb a tree. Our faith isn't childlike enough to think that it would be worth it. That's why Zacchaeus becomes a good example here for us. Alexander White said, we have too much starch in our souls. This is good for English people. Your soul may be saved from sin, but scarcely from starch. Point was we're, we're stiff a lot. We don't want to we don't want to do something that makes us feel awkward or or is out of the way for us. But there's a reason Zacchaeus running and climbing up a tree is written in Scripture. It tells us something about the man, about his heart, about his willingness to try to see Jesus, and he doesn't know half what we know about Jesus. Of course, he's just they're out of curiosity. He knows something about him. We don't know how much, but he wants to see him. And the wonderful thing is it doesn't take much for the Lord, again, who's the center of this story, not Zacchaeus, to know that and to respond. Right? The wonderful thing is 
the seeker, Zacchaeus, is more sought by Jesus than he is seeking himself. That's a wonderful thing. That Jesus knows all that. And Jesus probably would have found him no matter what. But it's notable that he's willing to do that. I think that's encouraging for us. You want the Lord in your life. You think you're seeking him. Sometimes we feel like we're doing all the work and he's not doing anything. He knows more than we do. And he's more willing to seek us than we are to seek him. He already proved that by coming and dying on the cross. He's more willing to give than we are even to receive. And here, Jesus knows what's happening in Zacchaeus' heart. So, verse 5, it says this. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Wonderful here to see the scene. Again, he's marching through the city. I'm sure there's a crowd around. But the word says he comes to the place. Now, most of us walking through an area, who knows how many trees are there, if there was just one, but it could be easy to walk by a tree and not look up and see it. But what it says is Jesus is walking, and when he comes to the place, he looks up. He knows right where he's going to be, right on time. He sees Zacchaeus, and notice It's a personal call. He calls Zacchaeus by name. He doesn't just say, hey, guy in the tree, what are you doing up there? He literally looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Jesus knows who he's calling and what he's doing. I think that was important for Zacchaeus. This wasn't a big mistake. Zacchaeus was curious. He wanted to see this guy, Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what's going on, exactly who he is. And he speaks right to him, to that personal call. And he commands, this is a great thing, he commands Zacchaeus to fellowship with him. Come on down. I got to go to your house today so that we can fellowship. We can spend some time together. It's incredible. Again, Jesus, the son of God, And the Son of Man, here he is playing out this scene, and the command is that of a pilgrim and of a king. He's in control, but I still need to stay at your place. I still need your hospitality. The mix is actually amazing. And the willingness of Jesus to sit down and to come into Zacchaeus' house, again, I just think so wonderful that the Son of God is stepping into our world in such a humble way. If you were invited to a king's palace, somebody sends you an invitation, and it's legit, the king of Tonga wants you to come over, you would be surprised. And if you went there and there was the regal affair and you had to wear the right stuff and sit in the right seat and The king was there, and they were doing all the official things and had all the official interactions. You would think that that was cool. But wouldn't it be something even more if the king said, you know what, I'll come over to your house. And when he showed up, he didn't have all his kingly wear on. 
he had some joggers and like a t-shirt and like came into your house and made his favorite bologna sandwich and just hung out with you, you would actually feel like I have a greater connection with this person because they humbled themselves and interacted with me. And literally, that's, that's what Jesus is doing. It's, it's a greater version of that in ways that it's impossible for us to understand. Stepping down and saying, I'm going to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I know exactly who you are and what's going on here. Jesus tells him to make haste. Don't hang around up there. Let's get moving. I think when the Lord speaks to us, there shouldn't be any delay. We shouldn't show unbelief or distrust or apathy. Why would we linger when divine goodness is calling us? We do that. It's sad. We can all probably think of times, I can in my own life, where I'm like, Lord, I know you were calling me then, and I got caught up in something else, or I pushed it off. Fortunately, he, he's not done with us. But when he tells us to make haste, we should make haste. I must abide at your house in all of Jericho. Must. There is nothing more important for Jesus to do than to fellowship with Zacchaeus in his own home. Incredible. Incredible. This is the most important thing that I have to do right now. Right? Again, you, it's so easy to think God has so many things he needs to do, really important things in the world. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Probably needs to get alone, spend some time with the Father. No, he needs to go to Zacchaeus' house and abide with him. Like this is, this is still the same God that we serve. He cares. He's, a, he's able, because he's infinite, to enter into our world and interact with us on a personal level. He came to the place because he had to. He must do it. Again, we're told in John 4 that he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, or Galilee because he needed to go through Samaria because there was a woman at a well. He needed to go through Samaria. We're told in the scriptures he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered into a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden because there was a mom whose daughter was demon-possessed, and he couldn't be hidden from her. He had to interact with her because of who he is. He came to Zacchaeus' place, he comes to your place, and he comes to my place. Miracle of miracles. The Son of God and Son of Man, Emmanuel, God with us. Showing up and saying, I must stay at your place. Hurry up. I have to abide with you. Still what he's doing. Still who he is. Look at what it says about Zacchaeus. I think you can, as Luke writes this, you can feel that eager thrill there. Because right? it just says, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus scrambled down real quick. I'm, I'm sure this is more when, when Jesus walks up to that tree and looks up and says, Zacchaeus, I'm sure that caught him off guard. 
I didn't expect this to happen. I just kind of wanted to, it's kind of like when you call somebody and you just want the answering machine, but they answer, right? Ugh, I didn't think that was going to happen. Threw me off a little. Where do we go from here? And the last thing he had to expect, of course, was this command. But in a wonderful way, again, this is a wonderful thing about this guy. He, he just responds, again, in childlike faith scrambles down, makes haste, receives him joyfully, happy to enter in. He doesn't, th- he doesn't say, oh, but you don't know who I am. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know, why would you want to? I don't think this is... He responds to Christ's word quickly, joyfully, happily. Now, seven, it says, when they saw it, There's always a they. It's usually not good. They all complain, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, we take great joy, right? You're reading this story. You're thinking about it. It's easy to take incredible joy there, to realize who Jesus is, what he is doing, the awesome blessing and honor of him calling Zacchaeus down saying I want to abide with you I want to spend time in your house and you would think everybody would be really happy about that what a wonderful thing that's happening here it's wonderful to see Jesus's willingness to be made of no reputation by his social connections almost you realize almost no one that Jesus interacted with raised his social standing. Almost nobody. The disciples he called, he didn't, he didn't look more important because those guys were following him. The people who he ended up interacting with, maybe when a Pharisee invited him over or two, you could say, you know, that was somebody who was notable. But almost nobody he dealt with raised his social standing. It's kind of the opposite of today, right? Everybody wants to be connected with other people. They want everybody to like their Instagrams and their posts. And, you know, you want to be connected with other, everybody wants to be connected with other famous people because it raises their level. Almost nobody Jesus interacted with raised his level. Just normal people wouldn't have made a cool Instagram post. In fact, it ended up being something where he had to make himself of no reputation, as the scriptures tell us, to interact with these individuals. I think in some ways that is a challenge to us. Um, Because Jesus would do that. And no one who wanted to stand well in public opinion ever entered into Zacchaeus' house. No one. But Jesus did, and he still does. You know, I think it's a challenge, at least for me, the people that could bug me, or you know, you turn on the TV and there's another person on the news who you think bugs you. Jesus loves that person. Probably be willing to step into their world. We should probably be praying for those individuals. But it's also an encouragement because he would do the same thing with us and has. And Zacchaeus jo- receives him joyfully, but the, the sad thing is they complain. The wonderful thing is the beauty of the Savior meeting the sinner. The sad thing is they all say, oh, he's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? 
Adolf Sather, a commentator, said, Jesus is never so much hated as when he reveals himself as a savior. Now, you would think the opposite. When Jesus reveals himself as a savior, people, people must like him. But it's actually totally the opposite. When he healed people, they praised him. When he healed their bodies, when he touched them physically, people were all happy with that. When he made food, they loved him. Things haven't changed. You feed the 5,000, we are going to make you king. And he has to disperse the crowds. When he cast out demons, they feared him. They're worried about that. When he said, your sins are forgiven you, they hated him. They hated him. They complained. They murmured. And they decided, we need to murder this guy. The minute he inserted himself as a person who had the authority to call and forgive sins, they hated him. We don't like this guy anymore. Who are you? that you have the authority to forgive sins, to say sins are forgiven. Of course, Jesus would say, what's easier? Tell this man, get up or walk, or say your sins are forgiven, so that you know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. You see, people are cool with Jesus until Jesus begins to say sin is sin, and call sinners to repentance. Then people aren't happy about Jesus anymore. And the crowd, as Jesus begins to step in and interact with the sinner, forgives sin? No, we don't like that anymore. Because if that's true, now we're accountable. Now there has to be repentance. There's a different way I have to interact with Jesus. People weren't happy about this. This guy's a political traitor. He's undermining our whole society. This guy doesn't care about God. He's a sinner. How can you be a guest of this man? Now, in verse 8, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So between 7 and 8 there, there's a period of time and interaction we don't know. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. Apparently they're having a meal. They're talking. Somewhere in that interaction, doesn't give us all the details, Zacchaeus is a new man. Zacchaeus is saved. Salvation, Jesus makes it clear, has come to this house. Zacchaeus has now put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord. He's forgiven. We don't know all that that looks like. He's found, he's saved, and we see he is selfless. He says to Jesus, I'm going to give back. If I've wronged anybody, I will make it right. He doesn't, he's saying this to Jesus. He's not saying it to the crowd. This isn't self-defense. He's not giving an apologetic that he's a new man to anybody. He's speaking to Jesus, the person who 
has forgiven his sins. The person he's looking to now. It's a confirmation of his conversion here. He was converted, so his pockets were too. That's how it works. His whole life was. And the reality of that scenario, we don't have all the details, but we don't need them. Jesus knows how to speak to people's hearts. He knows what people need to hear. He knows how to interact with every individual. Every single time he interacted with a person, he knew exactly what to say to them. He knew, he knows what's in the heart of man. And here he confirms Zacchaeus' salvation to them, and he makes it clear that he was a true son of Abraham by faith. Again, Zacchaeus would have been considered by the people on the outside as not a real son of Abraham. You are a sinner. You are a traitor. Jesus makes it clear, no, this guy, he too is a true son of Abraham by faith. Not just by Jewish descent. Even every Jew had to have faith in who God was. Just because you were a Jew didn't mean you were saved. Judas is sitting there. He doesn't have faith in who Jesus is. Jesus was saying very clearly that he does not believe. He is not clean. He was not one of them. Was by nationality. But he wasn't by faith. He wasn't truly a son of Abraham. John the Apostle would say, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of will of man, but of God. There's only one way to be a child of God. God has to do it. It's not about your bloodline. It's not about your own works or will. God Almighty gives individuals the right to be a son or a daughter of God. It's his own work. And he says... Of this man Zacchaeus, despite how all the world saw him, that he was most directly a lost son of Abraham. That's who he was. Didn't matter they had a rich and a stable life. He was lost before. And, you know, we use that word in a lot of different ways. Um, But for the Bible's description of a person who is lost... A person who is lost is not just lost in the forest or doesn't know where to go or their phone died so they don't have maps anymore. A person who is lost is lost to God. That's what it means for a human being to be lost. Zacchaeus was successful. Zacchaeus was on the top of his career path. Zacchaeus, I'm sure, had a very nice house and all the money that he needed. On the outside, it looked like he had his life together. His people might not have liked him, but I'm sure he had friends, other publicans, tax collectors. I'm sure he was friends with Romans. In terms of what he could get in the world, he was fine. You know, sometimes we look at people and we say they're lost because there's a tragedy in their life. Maybe it's easy to look at somebody who's dying of their alcohol abuse or addictions or their their life is falling apart in one way and say, like, that person's lost. But we n- might not look at the person on Wall Street or who's doing really well or has the house they want or all the money they want or everything in their 401K that they can imagine and think, well, that person's lost. But what the Bible says is 
No, they're lost because they're lost to God's purposes. They're lost to a relationship with him. They're lost to his will in their life. They're lost to their ultimate destiny because they live life without him and without his life and without his presence. Zacchaeus was lost until Jesus showed up. And a human being is lost to God. A.W. Tozer says, The man who does not know where he is is lost. The man who does not know why he was born is worse lost. The man who cannot find an object worthy of his true devotion is lost utterly. And by this description, the human race is lost, and it is a part of our lostness that we do not know how lost we are. You know, Robert Murray McShane, who was a pretty famous preacher, at one point stood in front of his congregation and said, I've been a faithful minister for five years, and I'm afraid that many of you here are still lost for the gospel. Paul could say that if his gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are lost, those who are blinded by the enemy. They're lost to the truth of who they are in God. To be lost to God the Father, lost to God the Son, and lost to God the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be lost. And the Bible says that every single one of us, each one has gone their own way. Your loss might look a little different. Sometimes we think it's easy to pick out what it looks like for somebody to be lost. Everybody's lost in their own way. Maybe their own way is obvious. Maybe it's not quite as obvious. But if Jesus Christ isn't at home in your life, you're lost. You don't know why you're here. You don't know why you were created. You don't know for sure where you're going. You don't have God in your life. You're lost. Now, the wonderful thing is, Jesus isn't happy with you being that way. When 99 are there and one is lost, it says he goes to find that one sheep that was lost till he finds him. Then he calls everyone to rejoice because he found the one that was lost. When 10 pieces are lost of coin, excuse me, 10 are there and one is lost, they rejoice when that one piece which was lost is found. And Luke tells us again in Luke 15, 101, 10 and 1, and two sons. When one son who was lost is found, there's rejoicing. Rejoicing in the family. When one sinner is saved, there's rejoicing. And all the angels in heaven. Jesus Christ really happy when what was lost is found. It's what he's here to do in this scene, and he makes it clear. I think he wants to make it clear to Zacchaeus, but I think he wants to make it clear to everyone else, anyone else who would hear, his other disciples, those who are in the room. He wants to say very clearly, notice again, salvation in verse 9 has come to this house. Because he also is a son of Abraham. The worst off sinner that you know, he can be a son of God or a daughter of God. 
It's what Jesus wants. And this is what I think makes this story so beautiful. You know, it's a story that we tell often. It's a story that, a children's story that seems memorable. But it's the simplicity and the depth that I think give it its beauty. And for Jesus to say, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's hard to forget that. It's his own testimony. It's his own purpose. It's what he declares. It's still who he is. It's still what he's doing in the world. We are either found, and if we are found, then that's wonderful, because it means he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be with us. He is knocking on the door, says, I want to come in and sup with you. He wants us to be found in his purposes, in his will, in his presence. If you don't know that, then you're lost. And he wants to find you and give you back what was lost. He saved us. He created us. And we lost ourselves. And he died for us and gave us ourselves back again. If you don't know who you are, or if you know you're a sinner and you're not sure what to do, Jesus Christ loves you. And he wants to offer you salvation tonight. If you're here in this place, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is in this place too. Hopefully you have the childlike faith to say, you give me the same thing that you gave Zacchaeus. Whatever he needs to say to you, he can say it through his Holy Spirit. But you should have the salvation that he offers. You should receive it joyfully. You know, the one other thing that I think about here as this story is kind of set and they're sitting around this table, I can't help but thinking that Matthew is sitting there in this crowd. Matthew as well was a tax collector. When he was called, he was sitting at that receipt of custom. And Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And Matthew threw a meal with a whole bunch of sinner friends there. And Jesus came over. Sure, it was a good meal. And Jesus took heat for being there, too, and being with Matthew and that crew. But I got to think that Matthew is there <clears throat> looking at Zacchaeus, just thinking, this is awesome. You know, people who have similar trades, when they meet, they like to trade stories. They like to talk about the things they do and how they work. And, you know, you're a construction person, you're talking to other construction people, your nurse talking to other nurses, your teacher talking to other teachers. You like when you find somebody kind of in a common theme or place in life. And I just imagine Matthew sitting here. The difference is Matthew's three years ahead in the process. And he's probably looking at Zacchaeus thinking, you don't even know how good this is going to be or what type of decision you're making here, how, how awesome it is. You know, Matthew, I think, with joy, copied down things like this. 
Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots shall enter the kingdom of God before you, to the Pharisees. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Jesus blew Matthew's mind. He realized who he was. And here he is sitting at this table watching it play all over again with Zacchaeus. And he probably thinks, I know you, Zacchaeus. I know who you are. I know what you've gone through. I know the conflict in your life. And I bet with tears in his eyes, he's like, Zacchaeus, give it all away. Give it all away. I'm three years in, and it is worth it. It is worth it. He's a, he's a person who's already found by Jesus in that life and connection. You're not going to regret it. Come join this crew here. Follow us. And I think in some ways we should all be able to say that to some people in our lives. Right? He's called each of us from unique places, unique scenarios, unique backgrounds. And I think that all of us should be able to look at other people in life and be able to say, I know who you are. You're a Christian kid, grew up in a Christian family with a lot of religious background. I know who you are. If you're in conflict, you should get it, give it all up and follow Jesus. If you're trying to weigh out whether the world is worth it or not, let me tell you, you won't regret it. Some of you here, you're alcoholic. You're addicted to drugs. You're immoral, violent. We should be able to look around to the people who are in similar situations and think that person is lost and Jesus loves them and wants to find them. And we should be able to look them in the face and say, you make this decision, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. Because there's always going to be other people who are upset about it. There's always going to be other people that Satan will throw in the way that are going to be the they, the complaint, and that have a hard time with it. But I just think God is faithful to put around those other people as well. The people who have been there. People who have experienced the same thing. And there's just a little further down the road, right? Like Matthew. A couple years down the road. But Zacchaeus, he made a good decision here. I hope our relationship with the Lord is like that. Hope you feel like in your heart and in your life that that's true. That there is somebody that you can look at. You can see them. You know them. I would have to imagine those people are in your life, that you would know who they are, and that you could be that type of encouragement. It doesn't have to be all specifics. You know, I think of when Matthew wrote that in his gospel. All he says is that Jesus came. Yeah, here's this guy who, who recognizes later what he did, who Jesus was. And he says, he said to him, follow me. And he followed him. That's it. He doesn't write some big long thing about everything in his heart and mind. 
he just looks back and he's like, the whole thing was a miracle. <laughs> he said, follow me, and I started doing it. I don't even know what else to say. How else to explain it? What are their words to kind of put it in? But this is Jesus' heart for people. As I said again, Luke 15, those three parables that he would give earlier were when he was sitting down with sinners again. We know the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. The context is, this is what God thinks of sinners. He has a heart to find them. To find them. And then, to fellowship with them. To bring them back to what their ultimate purpose is. Right? It's terrible to see other things that lost their purpose, a house run down, a city run down, something that had function that is now run down and broken. And we wouldn't necessarily look at that thing and call it lost, but that's what the Bible is talking about. That thing has lost its ultimate purpose. The ultimate thing that is sad and broken is when a human soul is lost, lost its purpose. Again, Lost to God. I hope there's nobody in this room tonight that is lost to God. If you are, he loves you. He died for you. All you have to do is say, I want to receive that forgiveness. I believe that he's Christ, the Son of God, and that he has the authority to forgive sins, to cleanse me and to wash me. That's you. Do that tonight in your heart. Come and talk with us afterwards. We'd love to speak with you. And for the rest of us, we should remember God's put those people in our lives. We know what his purpose is, what his heart is here. It's shown again in miniature with Zacchaeus and his life. And you and I are called to be a part of the encouragement of those things, not the discouragement of those things. And the enemy will always be out there to throw discouragement. But you and I should be a part of those disciples that would see those things, be overjoyed in those things, and rejoice in those things. So let's stand. I'm going to have the worship team come. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your goodness and your love toward us. We thank you for who you are, Lord, reflected in this account. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you're the Son of Man and that you've come to seek and to save that which was lost. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. We know we don't earn it. We're not worthy of it. But you're worthy of giving. And we just want to honor you and praise you. And again, Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, that you would speak to their heart, Lord, that they could have new life in you in believing and trusting in your name. 
put these things before you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.